Amen. That's good stuff. I want to give you a couple of dates to keep in your mind before we get underway. Find your way to Exodus 33. And in fact, while you're going, grab your bulletin because you can fill out the notes that are on there. And this is your prep time for small group, okay? So you can get your uh, blanks filled in. They're on the screen in case I blow by them and forget to point them out clearly. And uh, you can uh, make sure you take that along with you. You take it home this week, think it through, and then you can bring it to your small group while you're meeting. Um, a couple of dates that are important, uh, actually three of them, and they come right in a row. March 17th here at our campus is going to be an endowment luncheon. We're providing lunch, we're providing child care, and we would like to have Every adult at Coastal attend one of these endowment lunches. We're having one right here on the 17th. It's going to explain for you what exactly. I know if you've been around a little while at Coastal, you've kind of heard the endowment and you saw a little short video about it. This will give you a chance to find out everything you want to know, including asking questions. All right. Uh, This is Coastal's uh, vision uh, to... uh, fund ministry in terms of our multiply component of our ministry for years to come. And uh, it's got some great opportunities. I have asked clarification on this from Pastor Andrew Oates, and he has told me twice, this endowment fund means the end of fundraisers at Coastal. So Everybody can say amen to that, right? So we don't we don't get up here and have seasons where we're after you come on, we gotta give, we gotta give, we gotta give. The endowment is there, and we'd love to have you part of it. So that's the 17th. Uh, you can sign up. In fact, I need you to sign up so we have enough lunch, enough food, right? Uh, also, the next week, the 24th, is Family Sunday. That is the Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We have family dedications, which some churches call child baby dedications. If you would like to have that participation with us, uh, with your kids, we need to know that in advance, all right? So uh, you can use your connect card for all of these things uh, to sign up and say, hey, I really want to be part of this, right? And I think you can sign up online for all of them too, but I don't know. It's somewhere on the website. Search around, you'll find it. I'm too old to memorize the websites, so uh, you'll get it. Uh, The last date is the week after that, March 31st. So Easter is in six weeks. It's early this year, okay? Here's what I'm saying. This is only for our members, Please park in the street, down the road, out here in the street, and make room for our guests, okay? This is one of the times of year when uh, I really lean into the, you're a member of this church, you've committed to serve and sacrifice yourself, so unless you have, you know, like four babies to carry in, uh, even your kids can walk a little ways, right? So let's, let's make sure we're leaving plenty of room for our guests who will come. And uh, man, we're looking forward to a great time as we move toward Easter, okay? Let's, uh, let's dive in. We are moving on from the horrible incident of the golden calf. What, a, what an incredible thing, right? It, it just, it's... <laughs> One time this week, I was talking with someone who was frustrated with the fact that they had gotten back in an old habit of something, nothing, no big particular thing in their case, but it was just, <laughs> their reaction was, oh, I'm such an Israelite. <laughs> it, not that, that wasn't an anti-Semitic comment. They were referring to this, this season in the history of Israel where it seemed they would go, they would follow, and quickly, what did, what did uh, Exodus 32 say? They forgot 
They forgot quickly in the space of about six or seven weeks. So if you just forgot about the Lord and launched back into idolatry between now and Easter, that's about what this would have been, right? It happened very quickly. I hope we all recognize that that's us in that story, right? We're not Moses in that story. We're the Israelites, right? We are the ones who very easily wander and quickly get off the path and revert to old habits and all of that. It was a terrible experience, and, and the 32nd chapter ends with a plague. How exciting is that, right? 3,000 people die in this plague after this punishment that Moses levels against them. And there's a part of us that has to wonder, right? I mean, is this going to be another thing? Because God had already said in there, just leave me alone. I'm going to take them out, basically, right? What will God do? We're going to enter chapter 33 with a very interesting example of God's faithfulness. But I want you to think about this first. It'll seem a little random until I explain the connection. I want you to think about heaven with me a little bit. Or if you don't want to try and imagine that too far ahead, think about your life if everything was just perfect. Think about heaven, what it will be like. In, in so many respects, I think it's going to be like the Garden of Eden prior to sin. The personal presence of God, incredible beauty. It's, it's going to be so beautiful that it's described in pictures for us that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around, like streets of gold, right? Or... Uh, a sea of crystal, like all of these incredible depictions, including no more death, no more crying. <laughs> all the things that we don't like about this life, all the things that emanate from the facts of the fact of sin in the world won't be in heaven. That'll be incredible, right? What what have I I didn't leave it out. I intended to, and I just can't describe heaven without it. What if I had left out the presence of God? Can you imagine all of those incredible things, but God not being there? Would it still be okay? Would, would, would Eden have been amazing if God wasn't there? I want you to think about God's commitment to his people. The first few verses of Exodus 33 remind us that God is serious. When he makes a commitment, when he makes a covenant commitment, he's serious. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and Amorites and the Hittites and Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm just going to quit there for a second. Everything is finally falling into place. Even after this horrendous circumstance in Exodus 32, God is remaining faithful, and he says, go to the land. Go to the land of Canaan. I will send an angel to wipe out the people ahead of you. I will make sure you get settled there. So far, so good. They would finally leave the wilderness and enter the land that God had promised in the covenant. 
all their enemies would be defeated. By his avenging angel, God would sweep the land clear of danger and the Israelites would take possession of it. Everything was working out after all until we hear the rest of that sentence that started in verse 3. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Go up to the land without me. I'm sending you. I promised I would, but you're going without me. Let me pick it up in verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Go to the land without me. You're a stiff-necked people. Did you all have at least one kid who when they got angry went, right? That's what I picture when I think stiff-necked. You're not going to win. I hope you won. I hope you win because you should win. Don't be brutal, but win. <laughs> because being like that is not okay. And being like that with God is even worse, right? You're stiff-necked. As a further mark of God's disapproval of their actions, they had been commanded to remove the ornaments which they had received at the time of their departure from Egypt. So they'd already taken some of them off, right? Willingly and voluntarily, uh, the gold stuff, and said, here, here, Aaron, make us a god. And so, you know, he threw it in the fire, out came a calf, right? Or at least that's what he wanted Moses to believe. They still had other stuff that they had gotten from Egypt. In fact, uh, in the Exodus, it says that's how they plundered the Egyptians, right? The, the Egyptians were like, take it, take everything, just get out of our country, leave. And so they have all of this wealth. And now God says, take all of that off. It had been a sign of God's blessing, it had been a sign of God's provision. Undoubtedly, had become a vivid reminder of how God had blessed them. Their removal, perhaps like the discarding of an engagement ring or something, would, would have indicated to them and symbolized this broken relationship they now had between them and God again. Can I suggest to you that our blessings can become idols? I think this picture here in these first six verses reminds me that I can become very happy and very content with all the stuff God has done for me, with all the things God has given to me. And I can be content to leave it right there. I wonder if God fixed everything that I didn't like about my life right now. And that was it. And then I just had my life. Would that be okay? Before we answer that, I hope we're honest enough to really think that through. Like, would we be okay if we never spent any more time having devotions talking to the Lord? Would it be okay if life was amazing? 
but we didn't come to church or small group or any of that. We just left God out of our life, but God promises to still make everything perfect anyway. Guess what? He does that for a lot of people, right? There are a lot of people in this world whom God has been very kind and gracious to, and they leave him out of their life. I hope you're not one of those. I know I'm talking largely to believers, but man, I hope you aren't one of those who has enjoyed the blessings of God but not come to enjoy God. What we do with our possessions, even our finances, our money, is one of the best indicators of our true spiritual condition. I apologize. When I wrote that sentence, I didn't know I was going to be announcing the endowment. <laughs> that wasn't my point. <laughs> but if, if we were to open our checkbook or... That's an old illustration. I apologize. If we were to get on our, our online banking and look where we spent all our money, what comes out first, what makes sure to get spent, what doesn't, where does it go, what would it tell us about what's really important to us? How many of us would be happy for God to just fix all our stuff? What do we treasure most? The blessings of God or the presence of God. Now, here's the thing. For us as believers, what did we learn uh, last week? We, we, we remembered a couple of weeks ago that now God dwells with us through his spirit who lives within us, right? Jesus dwells in our hearts by faith. We have the presence of God with us all the time. When we begin to act like that's not true, what is the only solution? I think it's what the people of Israel did. They mourned. It was disastrous news to them that God would not go with them. It ought to be that. If, I, if I'm not alert to the presence of God in my life, I ought to re recognize something disastrous has happened. Right? I, I, can't, I cannot accept that that's okay. It's not okay. God is serious about his covenant. I wonder sometimes how serious I am about mine. Here's something I read this week. I've heard it before. J. Oswald Sanders once said this, every one of us is as close to God as we have chosen to be. It really is a penetrating sentence to me. There's nothing on God's part that's hindering intimacy with me. That's all on my part. Whether I'm permitting sin in my life that I shouldn't, whether I'm allowing things to become idols that were intended to be evidences of God's blessing to me, whatever it is, I am as close to God as I choose to be. Because God is serious about his relationships and his covenant. Secondly, God beginning in verse 7, demonstrates that he's relational. Moses used to take the tent, not the tabernacle, that hadn't been erected yet. There was another tent that he used as a tent of meeting. And he would pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, the visible manifestation of God's presence, 
would, uh, would descend and stand at the entrance to the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, and all the people would uh, standing at the entrance to the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. God is relational. God is not just about his rules. God is about a relationship. The tent of meeting was far off from the camp, a reminder perhaps to the people of the distance between them and God right now. The things were not as they should be. They still worship. They still sought to worship, but they worshiped at a distance. Have you felt that way? Have you, have you come to corporate worship and yet felt a little distant from the Lord? I want to remind you of a truth. What did Jesus say in John 15, 15? No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. Through the finished work of Jesus, we are friends just as surely as Moses spoke with God like a friend, that can be us. Nothing hindering us from that, except whatever we put in the way. Because God is relational. He met, Moses met with God. What an incredible thing. He went and talked with God like a man would talk to his friend. You guys hang out back here. I'm going out to the tent and have a talk with God. And the cloud would come down, showing the visible presence of God. And Moses and God would talk. I would love to know what they talked about. We're not told, so it isn't important for us to know. But there's a third thing. Not only is God serious and is, is God relational, but God is also faithful. Verses 12 and 13, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses is appealing to the faithfulness of God. These are your people. What had God said? You take your people and go up. Moses said, these are still your people. Moses' relationship with God is fascinating to me. Show me your ways, he said. Was he asking for directions? <laughs> now we know... We get to Leviticus, and it's going to be a little while till they get to the land still, right? Because the people are going to send in a scouting group, and they're going to come back and say, huh, no, that's not going to happen. Those people are way too big for us. And everybody's going to believe them. And so they're going to spend 40 years until everybody older than 20 drops dead, and then the young ones will get to go. That'll be another sermon series later. But... 
Moses has grown so much in his relationship with God, I don't want us to miss this, that he now is asking for more. Do you remember Remember Exodus 3 and 4 when God first came to Moses and he went up on the mountain and he found that bush that was burning and wasn't consumed and then God said, uh, Moses, take off your shoes for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. What did Moses do? He ran and hid from the presence of the Lord. Now, over the course of his years, as he has walked with God, he has come to the point where he now says, I I want more. I want to see your glory. But before he gets there, (laughs) before he gets to the the glory question, I want to think about what he's asking. If you're pleased with me, Show me who you'll send with us. And he didn't want it to be an avenging angel. These verses grabbed me in a season of wilderness wanderings, as Jody and I call it. We had left a church that I was pastoring. Things were good. God was blessing. But we sensed clearly in our hearts that God wanted us to go into foreign missions. And so we began the hunt, began to search, and ended up taking a a trip to visit to the country of Australia, uh, came back convinced that God wanted us to be church planting missionaries in Australia, which when, when you try to communicate that to people, we found it was a lot like saying, I'm going to go be a church planting missionary to Hawaii, right? Because like everybody's like, really? That's not really the mission field. Because um, it's, you know, it's awesome. Australia is amazing. Uh, It was also among the least evangelized places on the planet at the time. We spent several years raising funds, and it happened very quickly. Sometime in the circles in which we traveled, you didn't just go to the mission agency, and if they approved you, you were supported. We had to go from church to church and seek support. Sometimes it took people four and five years to get sufficient funds to be able to go. God, by his grace, gave it to us in 18 months. And when we got to about 85%, they said, you better start working on visas and all of that. We started working on visas and found out that in Australia, they have a permanent visa, and it's basically a point system. Depending on what you bring to the country, you get more points. And so you can get a visa. As you can guess, pastors aren't high on the list in a very secular nation. So we went, we thought, well, then let's get a temporary visa. That'll mean we have to leave every year for a little season till we can come back in the country. But let's try that because under those rules, we could come in under some kind of generic social church type worker and it would be okay we could get in then we found out because of our little buddy Mitchell we fell under as a temporary resident the restrictions and requirements of permanent residents when it came to health care because it's socialized health care and they wouldn't let us come then because of that he'll take services that a permanent resident might otherwise be taking advantage of. And after having all of our focus, everything about us, 
focused on, we're going to Australia, we're going to Australia. Man, we'd been to Sydney, we've seen the Coat Hanger Bridge, we've seen the Opera House, we walked around by it. I mean, it's really amazing. All of a sudden, it was like door, boom, slammed shut. You're not coming here. And so we began to look, God, where do you want us to go? We were still at the time convinced God wanted us in missions. We looked everywhere. South Africa. Well, they still speak English. That wouldn't be such a hard transition. No, couldn't get a, couldn't figure out a way. Everywhere in the world. What language do we think we could learn? Everything. In the middle of all of this season of wilderness for us, I came across this passage of Scripture. As we were trying to find out God's ways, where do you want us, Lord? What do you want us to do next? I read those verses and it said, show me now your ways that I may know you. I thought, oh my goodness. I've been a pastor. I'm a missionary for crying out loud. God just wanted me to know him. He wasn't showing me his ways so I could get busy. He wanted to show me his ways so I would know him. And in doing that, find favor in his sight. God is relational. He wants you to know him. Moses is also their mediator. I know you talked about that last week too. But it's still here, right? There are a couple of fascinating statements in here. Verse 14. God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Let me stop there for a second and point out something grammatical for a minute. God says in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you, that's singular, that word, rest. I think God is still suggesting to Moses, I'll go with you. Moses, now for the second time, because the first time was in the previous chapter, right? Let me alone, I'm going to go wipe them out, we'll start over with you. That's a pretty heady offer, by the way, right? Would we have been humble enough to say, no, no, please. I will give you rest, Moses. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us, plural, up from here. Moses is identifying himself with his people as their mediator. And his question is this, how will everybody else know? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? What makes us different from everybody else? Listen, can we be honest with ourselves? The world has better toys and more money and bigger shows. There are a lot of things in the world that you can get that are way more enticing than what the church has to offer, than what God's people have to offer you. The thing that makes us distinct as the people of God is the presence of God. 
So when, when I'm living my life and I'm walking day to day and I'm interacting with people, what should make them know that it's different is not, man, look at that. He worships God and he has a nice truck. That should not be the connection. It should be, what is so different about this guy? There's something unique about him. They may not even be able to understand it, but it ought to be the presence of God that makes me distinct, right? That's what Moses wanted. God, you please go with us. What else makes us distinct as your people if it's not your presence with us? And God says in verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Boy, oh boy. God went up with his people because he was happy with their mediator. God said, I will do exactly what you've asked because you have found favor in my sight. What was it that God said to Jesus, of Jesus at his baptism? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased we get to enjoy the presence of God, the personal relationship with the God of the universe because he's pleased with our mediator. God said, I'll go with you. I will go with the people because you have found favor in my sight. It was Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations that recognized it's because of the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. Great is your faithfulness, he said. The people of God needed God to be with them. God will be with you and will never leave you because he is pleased with Jesus. And you stand righteous in the sight of God if you are in Christ. So listen, you know I can't just skip that and move on, right? You may be here or somebody may be listening to us right now or watching this a little bit later and you're like, what does that even mean in Christ? Like I can't climb in. I don't even see him. It is a little hard to describe, right? I mean, Jesus himself, when he talked to, talked to uh, Nicodemus and talked about being born again, Nicodemus was like, what? Right? It's a little hard to explain. So here's the best way I know to explain it. I am sinful, as are all the rest of us, right? All have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. We can't look at God. We can't be rightly related to God because we have sin in our lives. Nothing different than back here, right? Jesus came, became one of us, became one with us as people, dwelled among us, tabernacled among us. We became his people. God kept saying to Moses, those are your people. We became people, Jesus became one of us. And he lived in complete compliance with the law of God. Perfect obedience. I don't even know how to picture that. And then, largely because of that, they killed him. The Jewish Leadership, the Jewish ruling authorities, and the government authorities put Jesus to death. They, they killed him, and in dying, he paid the penalty for sin. 
including the distancing from God, which is why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments, he took our distance and our sin. They buried him in a tomb, and on the third day, he literally actually came back to life again, right? Those are the facts of the gospel. Jesus is God. He came and lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They buried him, and he literally came back to life again the third day. Those are the facts of the gospel. So what do I need to do? I need to recognize I'm a sinner, and I need to repent of my sin. I need to turn away from it. Mourning. When they thought, God's not going to be with us, they mourned. That's repentance. I repent of my sin. I believe in those core facts of the gospel, and I receive Jesus. To as many as received him, to them he gave power, authority to become children of God, rightly related to God. Man, if that's you today, today's the day to take care of that. You have no guarantee of the presence of God. All those kindnesses God has showed you, all of the grace he has demonstrated to you, is just because God's like that. It is the kindness of God, the Bible says, that's designed to bring us to repentance. We tend to look at the kindness of God and just say, yeah, well, that's, you know, lots of people get that, and we don't worry about it. God can be pleased with you if you will come to him through Jesus as your mediator because he is pleased with our mediator. Okay, lastly, God is awesome. I know that's a well-used term, right? I'm, I'm trying in my own life to reserve that a little bit more for times like this because, like, man, I can go to Longhorn, get me a nice ribeye and say, man, that, that's awesome, <laughs> It's God who's awesome, right? That steak might be really good, and I may go back and have another one someday, but awesome should be reserved for God, worthy of awe. He's awesome. And Moses says, as he continues in this journey of wanting to draw closer to God, show me your glory. We sang about that this morning, right? Wanting to see God's glory. Guess what? Jesus came... The fullness of the glory of God and dwelt among us. John chapter 1. We did see him. We beheld his glory. But not yet. Not back here in the Old Testament days. Here's something I want us to think about. The more we know God, the more we want to know God. I talked about Exodus 3, when Moses hid his face. Now he's saying, Lord, show me your glory. I want more. And, of course, God said, I I can't show you everything. I mean, face-to-face friendship, and he still couldn't take it if he saw God's full display of his glory. But because of walking with him, he wanted more. Again, just talking about this the other day with somebody. In fact, Jody and I were just talking about this the other day, how that the, there's a difference between our spiritual growth and our physical growth. In our physical well-being, you go long enough without food, you get hungry. And the longer you go, the hungrier you get, right? In fact, right now that I mentioned it, your stomach's starting to growl a little bit. I know, because mine is. I'm just thinking about this illustration, and I'm like, man, I'm hungry. 
The longer I go, the hungrier I get. The longer I go without a drink, the thirstier I get. In spiritual terms, it's the opposite. The more I feast, the hungrier I get. The more I am in corporate worship with my brothers and sisters, the more I want to be there. The weirder it feels when I skip it. The more I'm in the Word of God in my devotional life, the more I don't want to skip a day. The more I pray, the more I want to pray. It's how it works spiritually in terms of our health. Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God, protecting him in that cleft of the rock, he went by and Moses saw kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, afterglow or whatever. I mean, it was, it was not the fullness of God's glory. But what did God say? I'm not just going to show you the glory. I'm going to proclaim my name. That's the reputation of God. That's what's important to him. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. That's where he would hide him. God said, I am going to do this. I will go and I will remain faithful to my covenant with my people. But it isn't just because you asked. It's because I'm faithful. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Because you cannot take the full experience of my glory. I'll proclaim my name. And he said, I'm good, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, right? All of those truths about God make up what his name is like. God's reputation is at stake in showing mercy to his people because of their mediator. And God is always faithful to honor his own character. I'm not going to do that, Moses, because you cannot take it. So let me give you a couple thoughts to take home. I know I'm running over already. Can I remind you of that sentence that has really stuck with me this week? You are as close to God as you want to be. You're as close to God as you choose to be. If you feel distant, it is on you to figure out what is it that's keeping me distant. I would begin by praying about it. <laughs> I'd begin by coming down here and talking to the folks who will be here while our last song is being sung and say, I'm not even sure what it is, but I'm feeling distant. Can you pray with me? You're as close to God as you choose to be. Secondly, Jesus is our only mediator. Do we have 1 Timothy 2, 5 on here? Yeah, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator, the perfect mediator with whom God is pleased. Therefore, when I am in Christ, I know he is my mediator. And then I just want to remind you, as a child of God, if you are one of God's children through Jesus, can I remind you of a truth that I, I hope you won't forget, even when it feels a little bit that way? God will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never 
leave you nor forsake you. It's more emphatic than that, the way it was originally written. More like never is the first word in that sentence. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God doesn't do that because he's faithful. I am so grateful. And so with that in mind, it was for the people of Israel, all right, it's time to go. And they're going to begin now to see more and more the manifestation of the presence of God as they begin to think about the tabernacle and building it and assembling it and seeing the presence of God come. They are increasingly becoming aware of what a big deal that is. Boy, such a powerful passage of Scripture to me. Our team's going to come, and I've already mentioned the folks that are going to be down here by the screens. If you'd like to come and pray with someone, by all means, come on up. If you just got something to care for, listen, this is not the time. <laughs> a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was, Pastor Marcus had said something about that, and a couple people said to him afterwards, it just feels so awkward. Listen, don't feel awkward. You come. There may be three other people that will come, right? It's, it's totally okay. Or if you don't want to talk to them, that's okay. The front pew's always open at church, right? So come down and sit down here, kneel down here, spend some time with the Lord. It's, let's take care of what we need to take care of, right? Are you as close to God as you want to be? You can work on that before you get out of here today, all right? I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that you have done everything that is necessary for us to be rightly related to you. You have cared for our sin problem. You have uh, cleared the way for us to be intimately connected to the God of the universe. All that stands in our way is our own unwillingness to deal with whatever it is. Lord, there may be somebody here this morning or listening that has never come to Christ, has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Lord, I pray uh, that you would bring to bear the weight of their sin on their heart, that they might be willing to turn from it and to come to you and trust you to forgive it based on the truth about what Jesus did and who he was and that they would receive him. Lord, uh, there may be others uh, like mine uh, that have a, a heart that's tender toward you this morning thinking about all that you've done, your kindness and your grace and how that I could be closer, but it's really... It's really on me, and so I pray that you would encourage us this morning with your desire to be relational. Uh, you have made it possible for us to be friends. So, Lord, grant us the, uh, the desire to want to do that more. Thank you for your kindness and your grace to us, shown more than ever anywhere else through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.